What was your title at SpaceX? Senior Supply Chain Manager of Starship, if that matters. <clears throat> um, Starfish. Yep. Uh, before that? Did you write down fish? Or was that a joke? Starfish. Star, starship? I'll call, I'll call. Starship. <laughs> <laughs> the brown starfish. I'm a, I, you, yeah, you, you can call it whatever you want. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. All CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Pohl, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, entrepreneurs, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am talking with the legendary Ryan Nagel, the chief supply chain officer at Datum Source. Hey, Ryan, what's going hey. on? Oh, fantastic to be here. Um, absolutely excited for this. You this know. is this is like this has been a, actually I dreamt about this. Did you? I did. I had a dream that you and I were driving in the car and like the podcast setup was in the car, and like there was just so much tension about this podcast because this is probably going to be the most epic one, and like you completely lost what you were going to say and like like it was like this huge catastrophe because mm. you just went mute. All I wanted to do was just drive the Cadillac and relax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You didn't bring it. Yeah, in the dream. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I I had different dreams about this. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we we still dreamed, but it was it was different. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so we're currently in this studio. It's about eighty five degrees, um, <laughs> in some kind of loft. Uh, where where are we? Right? We we are in this incredible music producer. His name's Dylan Agajanian, mm -hmm. and the interconnectedness I have with him is incredible. We've been friends since before high school. Um, his family comes from this really cool racing lineage, drag strip racers, and so. Yeah, we, I mean, I've loved hanging out with his mom, his dad, talking about cars. Um, and then he's just this incredibly talented musician, which is, he's kind of a savant, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is the guy that played by ear in, in, like, in middle school. He didn't even look at the sheet music. He was just filling in notes and playing Phantom of the Opera his way. Um, incredibly, incredibly humble. Um, it just feels good. Like, I feel really surrounded with just, just tons of old school love. It's I really love cool. that. He's actually on the couch with you right now. Dylan yeah. was the composer of the score, which is going to be released on this podcast. So, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're, you know, homemade score. Uh, Dylan, how do we find you, by the way? What, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show. Yeah. Um, DylanAgajanian.com. Yeah. 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 DylanAgajanian.com. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Anybody wants to uh, hire my man D for any composing music. Ryan. Tell me about what's going on with you. You're currently chief supply chain officer at Data, at Datum Source. What exactly is Datum Source, and what do you do within the company? Ah, this is this is such a fun project. So it's a startup. Uh, we just closed our funding. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, what we do is we connect more or less people who need to fill their inventory with custom custom engineered parts with the suppliers who can make the part based on the machines and the capital equipment they have to produce those parts correctly. There's a lot of ways to make a part. Um, you know, if there's 100 ways to make a part, 95 of them will not produce, you know, margin. And, and uh, maybe three of them will break even. And then two, 
you'll come away having made some money on that project. So it's incredibly important that uh, you find, when you have demand for these parts, you really have to go to the right supplier with the right equipment. So let's stop right there and take a little bit of a step back. When we say parts, we're talking about parts that build rocket ships. Correct. <laughs> right? Correct. So, so tell me a little bit about Ryan Nagel and how he became <clears throat> to be all things sourcer and procurement of space parts. Yeah, you are going to have a very difficult job here. I've been told so many times that I am just an in-the-weeds detail person, and I do pretty poor at like the 40,000-foot level. So um, pull me out as soon as it gets, mm -hmm. as it gets too detailed. Um, yeah, these are rocket parts. These are, these are spacecraft parts. Um, these are anything that could be in aerospace, missile defense. Um, when I look, we'll call it at a Falcon 9, for example, my brain breaks down those components into like the most common denominator and then it bucketizes them into sheet metal components, machining components, carbon fiber laminates, avionics harnessing, PCBAs. And um, I really just look at these full, fully assembled products as groupings of different parts. Mm -hmm. And so, and you started this career uh, at, um, which was at wind turbine. What was it called? Modular Wind Energy. Modular Wind. So tell me yep. about that. So tell me about your first job in startups and kind of how you got into uh, advanced manufacturing supply chain. Absolutely. I was, uh, I was in college. I needed some, some, some spending walking around money. And I responded to a Craigslist post. And this guy needed balsa wood, moved from point A to point B, you know, with a truck. And those boxes had balsa wood in them. And I was excited because I was building surfboards. They have balsa wood stringers in them. And I figured, okay, if I do this job, maybe I'll get some like surfboard manufacturing material. Um, that turns out uh, the guy who made the posting was looking for an intern. Uh, he, he was going to become the COO and his partner was going to become the CEO of Modular Wind Energy. Which uh, was? Which was? What kind of company? What did they do? Oh, they produced wind turbine blades. So the really large, um, you know, if you've gone out to Coachella or if you've, you know, flown into European country or something and seen them offshore spinning, um, they were producing blades. So in that industry, um, the turbine manufacturer produces the, you know, the, the gearbox and, and all of that. And then they go source these different blades. Um, so we were producing clamshell molded large composite aerostructures. And um, I learned exactly how they were made because we were scaling a company. It was, it was small. I had zero responsibility. No one cared if I was there. Um, and I was eager to learn. And so I could just float through every single department of this thing. Um, I kind of had some shielding because I technically worked for the CEO and the COO. And I was able to walk around, be gregarious, just go ask people, technicians, layup people, uh, the, tooling, the tooling crib manager. It's like, hey, what do you do? How do you do it? And with this insatiable curiosity, you, you start to learn how things are made. How does balsa wood get cut? How does foam get cut? Um, how do you how do you prepare a mold to do a layup on? How does the how does the mold release work? Um, how do you go mix resin systems? That to me was always super important. Um, it's a part of my personality. It's all the details that matter. If you get those right, usually as it progresses, you'll you'll get it right as well. So, so. clearly, that shit matters to you. Like for me, like that. Yeah, I could give a fuck about any of that stuff. Yeah, but. no, it it it's it's um. I, I need to understand it to see how the process works. I have zero under, I have like, I'm not motivated to do it a thousand times. I want to know how to do it perfectly one time, and then I can apply it elsewhere. So would you say you have an engineer's brain? 
Ooh, no. Engineers, they have to read books. They have to have this, like, longer time horizon to actually fully understand it. I'm the, like, very, very one-and-done, deep, deep learning, very intense, very quickly. But I like to say I never forget it. So it's like, we could go through the bill of materials for one of those 45-meter blades, if you'd like, all the way down to, like, the lightning protection system, how it worked, all the inspection criteria, all the different Bondo and stuff that we had to put on it, um, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. All right, and so you worked for there for a couple years. That was funded by General Catalyst? One of them, yeah, yeah. They were they were uh, one of the investors. Okay. Yeah. And then when did you decide to move on to SpaceX? Ah, when they, uh, well, the, the doors were shut. So um, they saw an exit and they took it. Mm-hmm. And um, we more or less closed down the company. And after that, <clears throat> I had a little bit of walking around money. Um, you know, I was, what, 24 at the time? Mm-hmm. So nothing to like. I, I had some, I had more money than I had ever had in my life. and But it wasn't enough to like, buy a home or like retire or like do things with with a proper portfolio and start building that so i looked at it and i said like okay how do i take this money and like really pretty much get the most i possibly can out of it and that was traveling Mm -hmm. so i went on this huge world trip i made my whole budget um i actually gave myself 69 dollars a day to to live on Mm -hmm. right so this is like back in 2013 prices so there you go (laughs) um and I got a call. I, I eventually, I more or less went from like Ireland to Thailand, hanging out in, in Europe, the Middle East, Southeast Asia. I got a call. I was in Bali um, from a recruiter. And they said, hey, we're, uh, we're building these things called landing legs for Falcon 9. Do you know anything about rockets? Um, we've been told that you're probably a guy who can, who can buy these things and, and partner with suppliers and more or less like stand up a supply chain. We have zero interest in building them in house, um, you know. And a lot of, like, a lot of people here think you can do it. And I'm like, oh, who, who are who are the people there that are talking about me? Right? And, uh, <laughs> you called me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, yeah, I'm in. I don't know anything about rockets, but like, can you help me afford a plane ticket from Din Pasar <laughs> to, to like LAX? <laughs> and um, what it was was SpaceX. The recruiters are incredible. Like the team building there. So it's in house recruiter they're called in house recruiters. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And um, just incredible people. Um, and more or less, they talked to composite technicians and um, a lot of people that were hired from Modular Wind. Like, they saw that company shut down, saw that it was very, it was an incredible, like, technology incubator for advanced composites. Mm-hmm. And they, they hired a bunch of those people. So you had this um, ex-Modular Wind energy mafia roll into SpaceX. Um, they worked there for about six months while I was traveling, then I joined. Mm-hmm. And my first project... Um, I mean, I can remember sitting in like the first week and this is me coming off of hanging out with the Bedouins, like in Bali, just being this absolute, you know, young gun, no responsibilities, didn't have a cell phone living out of my backpack. Mm -hmm. And I was looking out the window, right? I was sitting in, sitting in Hawthorne at the SpaceX HQ going like, oh my God, this is like not what I signed up for. Like, did I'm you, a did desk you, did you, now? Yeah. Did you follow SpaceX? Did you know about no, their story? Okay, no so idea. I, you're right. Okay. Like, zero understanding. Zero. Like, not on my radar at mm-hmm. all. I was wind energy guy. Like, yeah. So, um, I'm, you know, sitting out there looking out the window going like, man, having an existential moment. Like, this might not be for me. <laughs> um, and more or less that first week a project came through and it pretty much got me instantly addicted to working hard at SpaceX. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was, um, there was a rocket was at the Cape. 
vertical um, inside that fairing, which which surrounds the payload and these satellites, there's these acoustic blankets. And something got damaged. Um, either oil spilled on it, hydraulic fluid burst, something. And the boss comes up to me, or my boss, direct boss, and says, uh, we absolutely have to get a new set of acoustic blankets to the Cape within 48 hours. And he was freaking out. Like, his body language was just absolutely neurotic. Um, you could tell that, like, this this made... This was in the limelight, um, you know. It was very serious from a from a commercial perspective for SpaceX, and I was like, finally, like if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to be here in this desk, I better be working as hard as I can on things that matter. So I just raised my hand, said, "I'll, I'll do it." I know nothing about it. Yeah, like what's an acoustic blanket? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not a blanket <laughs> at all. You can't you can't make your bed with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah exactly in fact you're surrounded by acoustic blankets right now oh okay yeah that's what they are nice Mm -hmm. good to know it's exactly what those are so um yeah not only acoustic vibration dampening and all that Mm -hmm. some electro electro shielding because they're covered in mylar aluminized mylar um and capped on um yeah and and more or less i took that project called up the vendor and said look here's exactly what we have going and and the truth was the absolute best thing to convey to them. Hey, the rocket's vertical. Something happened. They're now dirty. There's fought all over it. Um, I really need you guys to, to pretty much double down, call everybody who wants to have OT, and, and just like clock a paycheck. And we need to get these, these acoustic blankets to the Cape. Should I show up? Uh, you know, can I come on site? Do you guys have enough foam to cut? Uh, where do you get it yeah, from? What do you, you need? Don't, yeah. yeah, what do you need? And you just start pushing. Mm-hmm. You understand your swim lanes. You understand who's going to have to contribute to this. You get all of your flights. We're going to air freight this over to the Cape, all that. You you inform them. Um, yeah. And so so I, how many hours are you clocking at SpaceX? Ooh, endless, endless hours. I yeah. mean, the dedication, you have to, um, it's a lifestyle job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolute lifestyle job. There's still people there today rocking just as hard. I mean, really? we're talking 11, 12-year vets. Who, I, I heard the turnover there is pretty high. It is. Yeah. Um, it is. The washout's pretty high. Right. Um, but the absolute legends, they're there. <laughs> they can stay there. They're there. They have the staying power. They understand it. Now these are veterans. It's like the old Hollywood the Hollywood war movie <clears throat> where like the bullet goes over the guy's head and he's like, you know, the young gun is like, oh, that was super close. We're getting shot at. And the veteran's like, nah, you'll hear it when it's close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so like... I mean, I, I, I would think of SpaceX, I kind of, comp- I, I try to think of like a referenceable point of like what that would be like. And I, I kind of see it probably being comparable to like maybe being like an investment banker in Wall Street, like staying in until like 10, 12 o'clock at night, working weekends, like you're not done until the job's done, the deal has to close, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the fantastic part about there is headcount's low, mm-hmm. right? And it's, 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 it's low for a reason. Um, so it's a job where it's just all tunnel. No light. And I'd liken it a lot to um, at least my job in supply chain, right? It was a lot of like, probably a lot like Formula One supply chain. Um, you know, you're, you have your vehicles, you have your race dates that are exactly your launch dates. Um, you're sourcing components that are drivetrain, like hard metals machining. You have all of your airfoil and carbon fiber laminates, powertrain, all your avionics and launch control, your computers. Um, yeah. So how is working in sourcing and procurement at SpaceX different from being a sourcing and procurement, you know, professional 
at Boeing. Hmm. You know, or yeah. or anybody, or Lockheed, or or somebody, or the guy buying pens. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, you can do something perfectly. There's a perfect way to buy a pen. You know, like <laughs> right. you know, there really is. So I don't want to detract from that. Right. Um, and I also haven't worked at Boeing, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I can kind of comment on is, as I've spoken with other people, and like the real nuances of, of supply chain at SpaceX are um, th- the budget if you can justify it with first principles, is is almost unlimited. Now, that just made everybody, like, roll their eyes, right? Because there's no such thing as unlimited budget. But, man, do they do a good job of just understanding what is required. And when when you finally do unlock the money, it's because the design has been so hammered for design for manufacturability. Um, it's, it's like, if you have a terrible design that you think costs too much, but you're unwilling to change the design, then you're going to pay too much. Mm-hmm. But at the point where it finally gets to supply chain to go source it, it has been absolutely looked at a million different ways through a million different disciplines as to how do we make the most economical part. And so, you know, when you when you finally do your due diligence, you run your cost model, you go get your quotes, um, you know, it, it, it costs what it costs is kind of what's going on there. Yeah, so that, that brings us to an interesting question. This will definitely segue into into datum and what they do. But at SpaceX, you know, there's there's different phases within within um, supply chain and um, these advanced advanced manufacturing. There's prototyping where you know you're kind of getting these these you know crude like prototypes that you know could be put on a desk. And then there's what we call like the uh, new product introduction, right? The NPI, where these products actually have to be tested, right, um, before they go into space. So when you're sourcing these NPI parts, right, these things that are designed to be like the parts that are going to be used in production, quote unquote production, are is the design finalized then, or do they alter the design after like they have it and started doing testing? Mm-hmm. I to me that feels like a very like cultural business decision whether you're it's like you really have a design freeze or not and you can get into like the nuances of what really is a design freeze Mm -hmm. um but but over there like design is is changing it is it is you can think that a design is not up for change uh you know it'll be frozen for a couple years and it'll roll back across your desk you know six months later um but no doubt about it during the mpi phase that is fluid you have to have such good communication with your suppliers um you know if you're building to the wrong rev you're just purely wasting time and creating negative work for yourself. So it's just like software. You're constantly iterating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Entropy is always taking over. Um, basically, like, you know, datum's, datum is really banking on the fact that new parts are always coming out mm-hmm. and supply chains are always breaking down. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. So you're, you're building these or you're, you're sourcing these parts uh, for SpaceX and the design work is impeccable. How much did the sourcing and procurement departments at SpaceX work with engineering? That, <clears throat> so, I, not enough in the beginning. And I just, in like the insatiable curiosity, was magnetized to MPI versus production, right? So production is, is you know, a black belt approach, a Six Sigma approach, a very much like attack time-based production that is incredibly um there's so many metrics there's so much performance you know one week to another like what went wrong and that to me i didn't i didn't like playing that game 
because there was always somebody smarter at SpaceX. There was always somebody who had more dedication who could like really understand Six Sigma better and like improve. So I was like, all right, I'm only going to play where I think I can win. Um, and so I, I was instantly magnetized to MPI because there, there's no standard that's been set. This is new. So there's nothing to compare against, which means if you're clever, if you have a huge heart, a ton of energy, you're a good communicator, you're not afraid to fail fast. And when you do fail, you kind of have maybe two or three prescriptive actions to go fix the situation and you implement them like you're good. And that is, that is really um, what what made me in my brain, like get ripped out of bed and, and want to continue working. Yeah, absolutely. And. When I speak to anybody about Ryan Nagel, when Ryan Nagel's not in the room, everybody universally always tells me that not Ryan Nagel's core superpower is he is a builder of teams. I don't know if you ever heard that. But, yeah. um, people relate to you as somebody that is impeccable at building, coaching, and forming really high-performance teams. And what you did at um, the, um, the Starship, right? building mm -hmm. starship as the as the senior supply chain manager so tell me where did you learn leadership ah nowhere i mean i don't all my buddies everybody are like do you read books and this stuff i'm like no i don't i don't read books because i've never read a book where i can like in the moment looking at a problem or a team building event and recall back oh this ceo did it this way because i read the book i don't really draw any sort of inspiration from things like that it's about um I guess it's an IQ versus EQ situation. Um, I like to read people's body language. I look them in the eyes. I try to listen. Um, I really appreciate like diversity of thought. Um, you know, and it also is really fun to, to manage type A absolute high performers. Um, I, I get along with people like that. I don't like people who can, who I have to go tell, you know, bad job. Like, do you understand you messed up? It's just like, I like to sort of step back and say like, hey, you, you know you messed up, so... Show me how you fix it. Um, yeah. So how much of that that EQ is from knowing, like, your own shit? <sighs> That's, like, such an introspective question. Mm -hmm. um, I asked the hard questions, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, a big part of my work life at SpaceX was the commute. So mm -hmm. I live in Huntington Beach. I commute to Hawthorne. Um, I appreciated having that space maybe 60 minutes, maybe sometimes 85 to 90, uh, because I'd rewatch my tape. I really would um, go back and, and try to go through every single minute of my day hmm. and figure out if I did an action. Now, like one of the coolest things that I learned at SpaceX, um, and we even hit this in like our, uh, in one of our first board meetings, and we were talking about Gantt charts, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you need a Gantt chart. And you're like, absolutely, we need a Gantt chart. Um, but what SpaceX taught me was Gantt charts not denominated in days, but it, but denominated in minutes. Mm. Because, you know, in a Gantt chart, if you're off by, you know, half a unit, maybe, you know, whatever, then you're off by a whole half a day. But if you're off by half a unit in minute, denominated in minutes, you're not off by, by all that much. Um, so anyways, I'd go back, I'd watch my chart, I'd, I'd rewatch my tape just like any professional athlete would. Um, why? Well, because my dad was always, like, he's a huge baseball guy. Um, he always coached. And he was all about like perfect practice makes perfect. And you got to rewatch your tape, you know, was when you were swinging your baseball bat, was your elbow up in the correct position or was it down? Hmm. You know, why, why did that matter? So apply that to your current, my current job. You know, when I'm writing an email that has to communicate something highly technical, 
alongside incredibly high-value commercial topics, you know, was my elbow up where it should be in that email? Or did I half-ass it and my elbow was down hmm. in that email? The economy of words, the rhetoric, the sentence structure, the clarity, like really, really mattered to me. So I would actually say that partial to your 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 leadership ability is probably you could attribute a lot of that to your own neuroses. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> OCD, like wild. And right. then I also think like, I... I I don't know. My, my family is always like, man, Ryan, your, your imagination is like pretty hardcore. And um, I love trying to like have the blue skin of death in my brain. Like mm-hmm. you just had such an imagination that you, like your whole brain just stopped. I've never hit that point, but mm-hmm. I try to all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Imagination. And like if, you know, my, my biggest conundrum these days is like figuring out the words to type into YouTube. Because if you can, if you, that's another thing is like with knowledge and creativity and imagination, YouTube exists now. And like, if you know what to type into that search bar and you can go look at five axis hard metals machining of a Hermla machine, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can, you can pretty much learn everything you need to know to be incredibly dangerous in something. In anything. In anything. (laughs) Like in anything. Anything is learnable for Mm -hmm. free Mm -hmm. online. It's Mm -hmm. unbelievable. That's just a huge interview question. And I think, how do you like to learn? How do you like to learn? And like, and I think, and we're going to go down to that, but like, how do you, and I think really that delineates what an A player is and what a B player is, is who's willing to go onto YouTube and actually learn something before asking you. Exactly. You know who's incredible with that? Robert Pakulski. <laughs> you know who's yeah. incredible with that? Thomas Cobbs. Yeah. Exactly. And who we're going to talk about in a second. So let's a, that's a great segue into how do you identify good people? Like what, uh, are, what are the heuristics? Yeah. I mean, the heuristics, it's, it's thinking on your toes. It's being able to banter, I think. In a topic that is foreign to you. So it's like you ask a person, hey, I don't really care what this topic is, but I would love you to expose me to your thought process on the topic that you think you know the absolute most about. Not this shallow horizontal understanding, but the absolute depth of, of something. And, um, you know, I even say like, hey, I don't care. If, if you're a huge nerd and you used to play World of Warcraft, like take me through what you were doing you know, you probably spent 90 hours a week playing World of Warcraft. Like, how are you, you know, how was your UI loaded up? Like, how did you do with cooldowns? Like, you can talk about anything, any topic. If the person's a professional in it, they can take you down into like the serious nuances of it. I love that. And then you, and then you, you hit them with that. You allow them to like get on a good flow. And then you kind of rip it back out to something that is the complete antithesis of that. And you're like, Okay, so how? How about now? And then you, maybe you hit them with something that's a little off color, maybe a little bit of humor. So now you're like, okay, how does this person's meta in their life, like how do they do with off color humor? Do they roll with it? Do they not? Do they like really close up and feel uncomfortable? Um, you know, you hit them with maybe an opinion that's like counterintuitive and you just talk to them and see how they, you know, see how they react. So getting expert depth in something. How do people think about certain problems and then trying to pull them in different directions to see how they react, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was Is this somebody that you want to socialize with after, right? Which is super, super important. Absolutely. And then, so like what, 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 are, well, like, what are the red flags versus the, the positive things that happen in that heuristic? The red flags. I mean, red flags usually start to pop out when we start talking about discipline. Like you start talking to them about like, do you watch your tape? 
Have you ever watched your tape? How do you go about, like, what's the most disciplined thing you do in, in the longer time intervals? Like, do you make your bed every single day? Uh, you know, when you come into your house and you're super tired and things are disheveled, do you put them away or do you just say, no, I'll do it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, I make many, many, many decisions to not hire a person based on their self-discipline. Hmm. I don't think that's something you can force a person to get good at as a boss uh, in in a work situation. Right. That person might be super creative, but that person might not do well in a high-performance environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And exactly. so for the people that you hire, discipline is important. Consistency is important. Performance, above all, is important. Correct. All right. So you're working as a manager at SpaceX, Intwalk, Rob Pakowski, and Thomas Cobb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me about tell me about who they are and you know, why why why'd you hire them? Yeah. So Rob. Rob is an individual that the minute he walked into SpaceX, he understood there was a bigger picture. He understood that he was there for exposure. He understood that this was like a serious dojo to train inside of. And he was absolutely not afraid of like taking on some of the gnarliest projects, like from a, from a time perspective, from a budget perspective, from a complexity of production and ramp up perspective. Um, so he always was just sitting, he was just this magnet. And then another thing, you know, he's humble. Like that, that's who he is. Mm -hmm. He's humble. I love that his family comes from a small business family, right? So he already understands, um, you know, decisions that make people uncomfortable in like the the personal level and not. Um, He's, he's an incredible human being. And he also, um, what him and Thomas both share in common was their ability to not just focus on a single type of production or supply chain sourcing, where it's like, a lot of people get caught. They think it's super, or maybe they're um, they're really magnetizing, magnetized to to source one style of part, CNC machining parts, and they never skip to composite laminate. They don't get out of their comfort zone. Exactly, those two got out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're dangerous sourcing every single type of part that goes to space. Um, Thomas, whew, he just you know he is like this ball of energy, um, I was instantaneously uh, magnetized to like, he was a team player because he played collegiate sports. That's one thing that yeah, was just like, big. When, when somebody who is magnetized to engineering and space and nerdy things, who also has that like swagger of an athlete who understands that discipline, that is just like, I, I really wanted to capitalize on that. Like, he, his resume, he came from Marvel Comics. I know. That's what made me write a check. Perfect. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was I, like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, um, you know, he, he told me, more or less, like, the entire Marvel universe, the characters, and all the different nuances of their personality. Like, these are hypothetical fake cartoon characters. But he knew every single bit about them. And I was like, wow, I can definitely teach this guy. Or expose him to all these different suppliers that all have their nuances, and they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And he just he soaked that up. And Rob and Thomas were now your co-founders at exactly. Datum Source. Exactly. So tell me about, you know, I think Rob went to Virgin. Thomas stayed at SpaceX. Tell me when you got the tap on the shoulder, <laughs> and tell me about when yeah. this 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 idea percolated. The uh, the tap on the shoulder uh, was when we generally now like you have a very different uh, 
definition of what service market fit is. <laughs> but at the time, I thought that we had achieved, or those two had achieved, excuse me, I thought that those two had achieved service market fit and really like proved out that business model. Well, what were they doing at the time? They were more or less doing exactly what I now manage at Datum, which we called managed services. It's a very much a consulting agency type situation. Uh, we partner with OEMs and designers of complex space components. And they were looking at them and sourcing them, finding suppliers, running RFQs, doing cost models, negotiating, and making sure that those parts were, you know. Did, did Robin Thomas, did they initially intend to raise money and become a software company? Or did they just start off just saying, okay, let's just do this for ourselves? And this was, I mean, this, this has always been... The bigger vision. A, a major bigger vision. Okay. Yeah. So they came off, they started what, you know, a service basis, a consultancy, an agency, basically a supply chain as a service. Mm -hmm. You knew about this and then you got a tap on the shoulder. Exactly. So it's like, <clears throat> and they had said, hey, we're going to do this. Rob went on another world trip. Thomas exited. We're constantly talking. You know, I was generally still pretty enthused with SpaceX. Um, and then I saw this exit because... You know, maybe there is a day where I go back to SpaceX. I'm super glad that, it, um, you know, that bridge is still open and I can go back. Uh, but I want to go back just where I don't have to think about money and savings. And I can just like play that game and just t fully dedicate to it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe as like a 40-year-old person or something, 45-year-old person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, where were we on... Yeah. Talking about time, what? So what brought like so like so to, yeah so like they, they, you're, you're they're both working at an agency you know you're still working at SpaceX they're, the thing, te they're yeah. telling you about this giant vision so what's the vision and how do they get you to come over and what is datum what they what they hooked me with what I really hooked myself with was I can run MPI now for or supply chain MPI MPI for all the other design engineers out there who don't work at SpaceX. And to me, that was just way more difficult sounding. I was like, man, now I have to now I have to juggle like 16 different companies at a time. They all have different cost quality and delivery goals and standards to comply with. Um, I'm going to see like way more designs. I'm going to just really also, well, let me step back. I'll pause there on that thought. But the second, the second thing that really magnetized me out of SpaceX into Macro Global, which is the funniest name of a company ever. I loved that. Uh, now, now Datum was Elon is incredible at creating a market and then designing the product to sell into that market. I seriously believe, like we all know now that there's like a pretty hardcore SpaceX mafia out there, which, you know, I would be really, really honored to, to be a part of. And the market's there. Putting a kilogram into orbit is now like never been cheaper. And what I believe is, is um, we're all like the whole market is going to start designing things that need to go to space. And my entire goal was to increase the stock value of SpaceX for almost eight years. I never quit that. I'm just now outside as a force multiplier, helping the market pretty much design things and bring them to market so we can put them in that fairing and launch them. It's like that's that's really the interesting part, right? Because I saw, you know, I saw supply chain, I saw upper management, and I I was like, wow, like I think I think I think SpaceX needs help getting things into this fairing faster. 
Hmm. And that's what I really wanted to make my goal. So I still feel um, like very connected to yeah. that company. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because their job is to launch stuff into space. And now you're just working for every other company that's in advanced manufacturing, create the thing to launch into space. Exactly. And so the agency turns into a software company, right? Um, you meet a little old podunk firm called DWP Capital mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> out in Phoenix. And uh, you raise a million bucks and you start hiring people. And, you know, you kind of go down that road and um, Rob and Thomas kind of get pulled out of the managed services and they start playing startup founder with software and you're, you're cranking. So tell me the kinds of clients and, that you're working with, that the right. one, those that you can talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of rocket companies, lots of robotics companies, some, uh, some up and coming like construction industry companies. Um, generally, what they're doing is, is they're building first stages, second stages, uh, propulsion systems, primary structure. Um, you know, they are more or less figuring out, you know, where does their vehicle fit in this whole market? If Starship and Falcon 9 are just the huge big dogs, heavy lift type type systems, um, is there something smaller that they can, they can put up and, and be a bit more nimble of a launch company, um, that can really put your rocket or, you know, put your payload into orbit on a shorter time frame or a more negotiable time frame. Um, yeah. So these companies are like Astra. You know, they're, they're building their engine. Publicly traded. Publicly traded. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, um, we're helping them ramp their, their engine supply. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Um, we have, I'm, I'm so fired up. These are like some of my favorite clients. Astrolab, they're building a, a Mars rover. Nice. Or excuse me, not a Mars rover, a, 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 a general space body. It could, it, as long it could be, as that, it could be a Venus rover. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> really going to show that I'm like not an engineer or scientist. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Venus has like, it's a solid rock, Yeah, you know? <laughs> assuming yeah. that it is a solid yeah, rock. As yeah. long, assuming it's not a gaseous body, you yeah. know, yeah, we can, we can roll around this, this, this bad ass machine on, uh, on the surface of this thing. That's so cool. Yep. That's so cool. So climate tech companies and then just, just companies that are, are doing some amazing things for the planet that are, you know, not commodities. These things are new innovations. They certainly are. They certainly are. It's like, um, and it's super cool because we'll, we will really service like the smallest piece part to the largest full-blown vehicle and assembly. Um, what you feel like, you know, before when, when the automobile came out and you needed to have a bunch of gas stations around the world, you know, there was the person who simply just wanted to design like the cap on, on the gas station that had like complies to an OSHA standard that is just the perfect gas cap to mm-hmm. service that and like we'll go help you build and scale that gas cap or if you want to build the entire gas station mm-hmm. we can do that as well awesome yeah and so There's, well before we go there i'm gonna i always talk because i'm just so ingrained in flight hardware uh we do a lot of what we consider indirect procurement versus direct procurement which puts flight inventory into inventory um we do a lot of indirect procurement so that's like all the services the logistics um you know, you need to hire 50 welders, we got you. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the things that you can't put on an inventory shelf. The the picks and shovels up to getting these things launched. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, didn't under, I didn't realize that you did services, too, that you could procure services. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, That's yeah. amazing. And, you know, I, I, I really don't think that there's that many people that know what um, how to source um, parts and or services for these uh, space companies. They're, I don't know, maybe... 
50 of them in, in the world and, you know, 15 of them work for us. So, <laughs> you know? so yeah. I think I think we kind of are really building something super valuable here. Yeah. The most disciplined ones work for us. <laughs> the, most the ones that are like really watching their tape, that they're great with feedback. They don't need it sugarcoated. Exactly. You know, yeah. that's a high performance team. Ultra high performance team. Yeah. So tell me. The company is turned, you know, like it, we just raised an additional $5 million led by uh, a couple of great investors in SoCal, San Francisco. What is, what like, what is it like now being um, partially, you know, a software company and building out a, a zero to one product that's really building together, um, you know, a, a SaaS slash marketplace model for OEMs and suppliers to source and procure parts? It is, it has been the most eye-opening experience. Like it is not supply chain. It is very different. Mm -hmm. And wow. Again, in the hiring process, we have just hired some, some immaculate professionals. Um, it is, it's incredibly, I have to really tune back, um, all the different complexity that I instantaneously inject into this. Uh, you know, this software, it started in a tiny little room, even smaller than this in SpaceX, where my head was two feet from Thomas. I could, I could almost whisper and speak with him. Rob was, you know, catty corner two desks away. And we were talking about, wow, look at all this work. We're here at two in the morning. Is it going to be a 4 a.m. night? Like, should we even go to sleep? Should we even drive home and like waste the gas money? Mm -hmm. um, and we were just thinking about like, how do we do this quicker? How do we do it more streamlined? What is superfluous? Cut that out. Um, and so we've been brooding on datum as a SaaS product for years. Um, you know, when you, when you really like start a sprint and you start to fill out your stories and your epics and you put those into Jira, like I feel as if we have enough content to, to keep an in, <laughs> a team of engineers busy for years. Mm -hmm. um, and it really is couched in, in just supply chain first principles. Um, you know, what do you need? How do you get the job done? Can you, does the software work for a technical individual who knows exactly how these parts are made? Great. Put on the Iron Man suit, go faster. Mm -hmm. Does it work for a non-technical person who is, is very much like a buyer by skill set who has zero in engineering understanding? Can they go faster? Let's let them put on the Iron Man suit and go as fast as possible as well. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So... Just for the listener who might know, want to learn more about what the Datum product does and the underlying vision, you, Robert Bukowski, the CEO, was on a former podcast. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on today. couple canned questions. Uh, number one, on a scale of one to ten, how good of an investor am I? I mean, <laughs> are you better than you were yesterday <laughs> we'll see maybe i think are I got you worse. disciplined i, I hope I mean, so. it doesn't matter what other investors are doing that's true like who gives a shit mm -hmm. okay am i better how are we going to calibrate risk mm -hmm. how are we going to really understand if you're better than you were yesterday you're probably a badass investor i like it yeah. i like it i don't care what you've done perfect yeah it, what are you doing now yeah yeah <laughs> exactly let's turn exactly. the page like tell me are you watching your tape got okay so a 10 good cool. um and then so what is your favorite book? Name of the Wind, hands down. Patrick Rothfuss, okay. incredible fantasy book. It's uh, Harry Potter for adults. 
Name or, of or the Wind. Name of the Wind. Yeah. Is it like a? Is there like multiple? Like it's a trilogy. The third okay. one isn't out yet. Um, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Anybody who 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 goes and gets that book and reads it and doesn't like it, email me. <laughs> okay. Because you're that that person is unique. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And then tell me, uh, what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? There's no good advice I ever. No, just, <laughs> never. No, yeah. just, just I. I really, I wing it. Like I don't. I don't want to say I wing it because that sounds like there's not like mythology in it. Uh, the best piece of it, business advice. I don't brood on those things. I, I don't. I don't look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. I like yeah, it. I, I keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Fail fast. Fail fast. Fail, fail quickly. Uh, stay humble. Yeah. I, fail fast. You just have to fail fast. Um, and if you know you're failing, broadcast that mm-hmm. in- immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, really wear it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Keep kicking ass in managed services, in supply chain as a service, at Datum Source. Everybody, that is another episode of the Capital Stack, where we talk to entrepreneurs, founders, and operators about all things value creation and startups. Please share. Please listen. Uh, leave a comment. Cancel me. Do whatever you'd like. Uh, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.